We'll be reading the first chapter of Habakkuk. Uh, this is from the New American Standard Version. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Look among the nations. Observe. Be astonished. Wonder. Because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces moves forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings and rulers and, are laugh- and, are, are, and rulers are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on, but they will be held guilty. They whose strength is their God. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge, and you, O Rock, have established them to correct. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? Why have you made men like the fish of the sea, like creeping things without a ruler over them? The Chaldeans bring all of them up with a hook, drag them away with their net, and gather them together in their fishing net. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they offer a sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their fishing net, because through these things their catch is large and their food is plentiful. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slay nations without sparing? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now, we do ask that by your spirit, you would speak to us through your word. And our answer would be a humble yes, Lord. Yes, we believe. Yes, we hear. Yes, we see that you are great. You are in control. You are good. And you are working all things together for good. May we, in times of trouble, find in your word the encouragement we need this morning to trust, to trust you with all things. Uh, May you work that in us for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever kept a prayer journal? You ever kept a prayer journal? A journal where you poured out your heart to God? That's what prayer is, by the way, is the pouring out of the heart to God. If you want a simple definition of prayer, it's pouring out your heart, pouring out your soul before God. A prayer journal is where you pour out your heart to God, but make a record of it in writing as you go. I've kept a prayer journal at different points in my life. Uh, They're really 
useful for capturing like a, like a snapshot, like a picture, the state of the heart and what felt like the most urgent thing at a particular moment in time. They're also really great for looking back on and seeing how God answered our prayers. Because very often, the bigger problem than us failing to see God's answer to our prayers is our failing to remember and reflect on what we've prayed for. Uh, You know that you've seen a lot more answered prayers than you can remember. Far more than you can recall right now if I were to put you on the spot, right? I'd bet if you could reflect back perfectly on all that you prayed for six months ago, that you could spot some of God's answers and provisions today that mostly have escaped your notice until now. Part of the problem for us is we don't remember and don't reflect back. We don't ponder and consider God's many tender mercies in response to our past prayers. Keeping a prayer journal can help us with that bit if we go back and revisit it, right? Like like any other book that's on our shelf, it doesn't do us a lot of good if we don't pick it up and read it, if we don't go back to it, if it stays on the shelf. But when revisited, a prayer journal gives us an occasion to remember and reflect like when you go back to old photos. I go back occasionally to my Instagram history feed and I just go through old pictures because it gives me an occasion to remember and be grateful for a host of good things that God has done. It's like a parade of happy memories, happy moments beckoning my heart to be thankful Each picture a reminder of God's grace and kindness in a thousand different ways. Thumbing through an old prayer journal can have a similar effect, right? It gives you an occasion to remember, an occasion to reflect, an occasion to be thankful. Thankful that, at the very least, you've matured a bit since you last wrote that very immature (laughs) prayer journal entry. I'd recommend keeping a prayer journal, at least occasionally in your life, so that you can look back and reflect on how God has changed your heart and answered your prayers over time. But now, imagine. You're keeping your prayer journal one day, pouring out your heart to the Lord, And in response to your heart being poured out, God begins to reveal his heart. God begins to speak back. And for the most part, you were astonished by what he had to say. And truth be told, you really didn't want to hear what he had to say. Whether you can imagine that this morning or not, this feels very much like what we have in the book of Habakkuk. I'm going to move this so I can see my mother sitting on the end over here. It's good to have you with us, mom. (laughs) Okay. 
Whether you can imagine or not, this is what we have. Oh, and my dad's right there. Hey, sorry, dad. You're there as well. This is what we have in the book of Habakkuk. Uh, now, this looks a bit different from our prayer journal. Why? Because Habakkuk is an Old Testament prophet. Which means Habakkuk is someone who was designated by God to speak for God. To speak for God directly to the people. Remember at Mount Sinai in, during the Exodus, God spoke directly from the fire and the flame. And all the people said, this is too much. We can't take it. Here's Moses, speak to him and we will listen. You remember that? Fair enough. Moses became the prophet of God to the nation of ex-slaves wandering in the wilderness. Moses would speak saying, thus says the Lord who led you out of Egypt. And in doing so, Moses would be speaking God's very word. He would say, here is the Torah. Here is God's instructions. Here's what the Lord has revealed. God spoke through prophets like Moses. And very often, he proved he was speaking by accompanying those words with various signs and wonders. Like when people didn't listen, listen to Moses, what happened? The ground opened up and ate them for lunch. Right? There, there's a sign that this is God speaking. Verse 1 of chapter 1 identifies Habakkuk as the prophet. The prophet. He was the prophet of God to Judah in his time. As God's prophet, it is almost as if Habakkuk is writing his personal prayer journal, pouring out his heart, pouring out his complaint to God, and boom, immediately, God speaks his answer. And what he has to say is shocking. Before we see that, let's first see what Habakkuk had to complain about. If you're taking notes this morning, I'm going to give you three headings. The first heading in the chapter is this. The prophet's complaint. The prophet's complaint. We see this in verses 1 through 4. The prophet's complaint. Look with me, verse 1. It says, the oracle of Habakkuk the prophet, what he saw. Verse 2, he says, How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. Habakkuk's prayer journal may begin like many of yours. How long, O Lord? How long? Have you ever begun a, an entry in your prayer journal that way? How long, O oh Lord? I imagine most of us have already had a how long, O oh Lord, situation in our life. Probably multiple situations. How long, O oh Lord? Perhaps it was a bullying situation at school. Perhaps it was relational strife. At work, a rebellious child at home, a reoccurring thorn in the flesh-like health situation that just would not go away. And, and it made us, these things made us cry out, how long, O Lord? And perhaps it still does. We've all been there, I think. Even if you're here today and you're not a Christian... I bet you've been there too, crying out, how long? How long? You've been crying out, 
but you just didn't know who to cry to. You did not know who would listen to you as you poured out your heart in something very much like prayer. That's what prayer is, pouring out our hearts. We've all been there. And if you haven't yet, you will be. You will be because we live in a world full of brokenness. Things are not as they ought to be. We all know this, whether we're a Christian or not. We all know it deep down that things are off. Things in this world are often bent the wrong way. Many of our own desires are bent, horribly bent, and will prove self-destructive if we follow them. Every so often, every generation, politicians, revolutionaries come promising us a utopian society where everything works beautifully, but it doesn't take very long before the wheels completely fall off of that vision, does it? Why? Because brokenness still abounds in every system, every new system. Greed and manipulation went out. Why is that? The Bible has the best answer to the question of why that is. It has to do with the reality of sin and how sin has impacted our nature. But the very fact that our hearts cry out, how long, O Lord, is like a finger, finger, it's like a finger pointing to an important truth. The important truth is this. This isn't how things ought to be. When your heart cries out, how long, O Lord, it's a Finger pointing to the truth. This is not how things should be. This is not how things will always be. How long implies there will be an end. Whatever makes your heart cry out, how long, O Lord, that thing does, in fact, have an expiration date. We cry out now because there will be an end later. The Lord will one day clean house of all the broken things that make us say, How long, O Lord? For Habakkuk, those broken things include violence. Violence in the streets. Look at verse 2 again. I cry out to you, violence, violence, yet you do not save. Habakkuk looked out among a people who were supposed to be in covenant, in a covenant relationship with God. They were supposed to love one another. He looks out and he doesn't see love among God's supposed people. He sees violence. Violence. He looked out his window and he saw violent crime happening in his neighborhood. He saw the strong pushing around the weak. He looked in his neighbor's homes and he saw instances of domestic abuse and violence. He looked down the street, walking down the street, met people who would sooner kill him for the sandals on his feet than wave hello. The neighborhood is going down, O oh Lord. Violence is everywhere. How long, O oh Lord, can this go on? Maybe 
you've thought something similar. Maybe you shake your head at the daily reports of violent crime. Maybe you scroll AL.com and read one tragic event after another, one local shooting after another, one drunk driving fatality after another, and it makes your heart say, how long, oh Lord, how long? Maybe you follow the news coming out of Ukraine of tremendous casualties on both sides of battlefields where the average life expectancy is four hours, of civilians being tortured, of mass graves being identified by satellite images. And it makes your heart cry out, How long, O Lord? And you say, like Habakkuk, I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. Verse 3, Why do you make me see iniquity? And cause me to look on wickedness. Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. God asked Habakkuk, sorry, Habakkuk asked God, why? Why? Why are you continually putting all these displays of people's sin and brokenness in front of me? I look over here. And I see people cheating one another in the marketplace. I look over there and I see strife between neighbors who should care and love one another. I look around and I see people making self-destructive choices. Giving themselves over to addictions. Digging pits for themselves to fall into with their words. People are openly flaunting their sin and calling it righteousness. They're calling others to join them in it. I can't go to the store or hear the news at the city gate or read a modern scroll without being confronted with some high-handed display of iniquity by people's open rebellion against God and his law. I wonder if you can relate to that today. I wonder if you felt that in your heart before. I wonder if you felt the consequences of all this like Habakkuk did in verse 4. He says, therefore, verse 4, therefore the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. I wonder today if you feel the injustice that is in the world. It feels like the wrong voices are winning out. It feels like God's law is ignored. It feels like we are ignoring our creator, what we owe to our creator, and in so we also ignore what we owe to one another, how we should treat one another. As a result, injustice runs rampant. Society's attempts to do justice come out perverted, They come out bent. They come out disproportional. It's not those who are in the right, but those who know how to play the game well, who speak the loudest, who retain the best lawyers, who maintain the most influence. They they are the ones getting the way. They are the ones who seem to be winning the day. It's a perversion of justice, an ignoring of God's law. This 
is the situation in Habakkuk's day. And looking around you, at times, you've probably felt the same. This is Habakkuk's complaint. And perhaps it's your complaint as well. Habakkuk has copied a page right out of your prayer journal, hasn't he? Only in the prophet's copy, in his prayer journal with his complaint, God answers back. And his response is shocking. We come now to our second heading. We've seen the prophet's complaint. Now let's see God's answer. God's answer in verses 5 through 11. Look with me, verse 5. God says, look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. Now, when I was a teenager growing up in the church youth group, this verse, Habakkuk 1, verse 5, was the theme verse of our youth group. Our pastor, youth pastor had it stenciled on the wall in the youth room. Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder. I'm doing something in your day you would not believe if you were told. And we, and we believed God was doing something in our day among the nations that we would not believe. God was doing something through us in our day. We would not believe it if we were told in advance. This verse had very positive connotations for me growing up. But if you read the context, the verse changes, the feel of it changes pretty drastically when you read what comes next. Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I'm doing something in your day. You would not believe it if you were told, for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march through the earth to seize dwelling places that are not theirs. The shock Habakkuk felt, I think I might have felt a little when I first read that verse in context. The astonishing thing God is doing among the nations isn't him bringing about deliverance from all these bad things. It's him bringing judgment for all these bad things. His judgment is coming through the Babylonians. That's pretty shocking. I was shocked when I first read verse 5 in context. And it shocked me into realizing two things, both of which are very important. First thing is this. The scripture is not a string of pearls, but it is a chain of arguments. The scripture is not a string of pearls. It is a chain of arguments. What do I mean by that? I mean the scripture a string of thing after another, one verse after another. Hold on to you can do that. You can't pick out one verse and Okay, all right, I'm back again. Great, praise the Lord. We don't know what's happening. Uh, the scripture, I'll say it one more time, the scripture is not a string of pearls. It is a chain of arguments. 
Uh, I don't pick this verse and that verse that I really like in, in isolation from the others. It is a chain, each verse building upon the next. It is a flow of thought from God himself. Uh, the second thing, that's the first thing I realized. The second thing was this shocking discovery for me. It was this, reading these, this verse. God is free. God is free to use a barbaric and cruel people to accomplish his purposes. You see that here? Look at what kind of people God is using. Verse 6, he says that they are fierce and impetuous. They march throughout the, the earth to seize dwelling places that are not theirs. They, they are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces moves forward. They collect captives like sand. These are not the people you would imagine being at the center of God's plan, right? They are fierce and impetuous. They are dreaded and feared. Their strength and their authority come from themselves. Their, their combat power is overwhelming. They come for violence, and they take captives like sand. Verse 10, they mock at kings and rulers. They, they are laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. These people are mockers. They don't respect anyone. They don't respect any nation. They don't respect any leaders. They laugh at every stronghold set before them, and they know how to overcome and demoralize its defenders. Verse 11, then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on. Like wind, they sweep through the land, and no opposing force can stop them. But, verse 11, the Lord says, but they will be held guilty. They whose strength is their God. They will be held guilty. Here's another truth that people find shocking. One, God is free. He's in control. And yet, people are still responsible. We are still guilty for our sin. It was God's plan. But the Babylonians will have to give an account to God for every act of violence, for every act of oppression, for every dwelling place they seized that was not their own. They were part of God's plan to punish the sin and violence of God's people, but God will still hold them responsible for every drop of blood spilt and every act of injustice done. Why? Why? Why does God still find fault with the Babylonians? Why? He raised them up, didn't he? He sent them. Why does he still hold them guilty? Aren't they just fulfilling his plan, his word? Aren't, isn't their conquest just part of the grand plan of God? It's not as though they could resist his will, could they? Let me make an attempt to make this as simple as possible before trying to go a little deeper. In God's response to the prophet's complaint, 
God is calling Habakkuk, and he is calling us to believe two things. Number one, God is in control. God is in complete control. And number two, the Babylonians are completely responsible. If you can hold those two things together and believe them both, then you're doing what the Scripture wants, as shocking and as surprising as that seems. We're called to believe that God is in complete control. He raised up the Babylonians. He sent them. He's in control. But the Babylonians are still responsible. God says they will be held guilty. If you can hold those two truths together and believe them both without any further explanation, that's great. Good for you. If, however, you're struggling to do that, I'll briefly share with you what helps me believe them both. This may not help you, but it really helps me. Let me ask the question, why? Why will the Babylonians be held guilty? Why does God find anyone guilty? The answer I find most helpful is this. The Babylonians are guilty because they did what they most wanted to do. They did what was in their hearts. When we sin, we do the same. We're guilty because we've done what we most desire to do. We've acted on our heart's greatest desire in that moment. Jesus said, from within, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things proceed from within. Those are the things that defile the man. The Babylonians are guilty before God because they've simply done what their evil hearts wanted most to do. Go out and ruthlessly conquer all their neighbors. That's what they wanted. For God to be in control and for the Babylonians to act out that plan, what does God have to do? God only has to stop restraining them. God only has to stop restraining them from doing the conquering and pillaging that they most wanted to do. God only has to remove his restraining grace and their hearts will harden and they will naturally become drunk on their own power. It was the same with the hardening of Pharaoh's heart in the book of Exodus. You remember this? It was God's plan for Pharaoh that he would not let the people go so that God could put on display his wonders through plague after plague in Egypt. And you would think any ruler with any good sense might have gotten the message after the first plague or the second plague to let the Israelites go. But good sense requires God's common grace. I want you to know that. Good sense requires common grace. If God removes his grace, which he is not obliged to give, that's why it's called grace. God's not obliged to give it. If God removes his grace, what happens? Our hearts, our reasoning, our affections are all hardened by our sin. Our worst nature takes over. The exodus was God's plan, but Pharaoh is completely responsible for his part because he did what was in his heart. It's God's plan for the Babylonians to take the Jews into exile, but God will hold the Babylonians responsible. 
for every single act of injustice that they do because they did what was in their heart. They did what they most desired to do. Now, that may not be helpful to you like it is to me. And you may not like it for God to work that way. It's okay. It's okay if that's your initial response because it was Habakkuk's initial response as well. We've come now to the last part of chapter 1. Thus far, we've seen the prophet's complaint, verses 1 through 4, God's answers, 5 through 11. Now we're going to see the third and last heading, the prophet's second complaint, verses 12 through 17. Or you, you could say the prophet complains again. Habakkuk's going to complain a second time. He complains again. God's answer leads Habakkuk to respond with a second complaint in his prayer journal. Look with me, verses 12 and 13. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge, and you, O Rock, have established them to correct. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? God's answer was not the astounding response Habakkuk was hoping for. I've complained about all the wickedness among your people in Judah, Lord, but instead of delivering Judah from all that bad behavior, you say you're going to remove us from the land with a people who are even more wicked than we are. No, that can't be. We will not die. Your eyes are too pure to approve such a plan. We may be bad, but we're much better than those guys over there, those cruel Babylonians. You can't possibly look with favor upon them. Sending the Babylonians to punish us would be like sending the wicked to swallow up those more righteous than they. No, Lord. This can't be your plan. No, Lord, you can't send us into exile through a people like this. Verse 14, why have you made men like the fish of the sea, like the creeping things without a ruler over them? Look, Lord, look at how they oppress your people. In doing this, Lord, you make us like fish caught in nets. Verse 15, the Chaldeans bring them all up with a hook. They drag them away with their nets. They gather them together in their fishing net. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Lord, what's going on? In doing this, you make us the fish and them the fishermen. We are like fish stuck in their necks. They bring us up with hooks. They drag us away. Then they worship a false god, the false god of their own power. Verse 16 Therefore, they offer a sacrifice to their net. They burn incense to their fishing net. Because through these things, their catch is large and their food is plentiful. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slay nations without sparing? These people burn incense to their nets, Habakkuk says. They worship their own power. They step on the heads of others. To get to where they want to be. They see other people as food to prey upon. As fish caught 
in their net to increase their power. Does that sound like anyone you know? Does that sound like any modern leaders you know? They prosper and grow their power by manipulating the masses. Habakkuk says, oh Lord, not this, no. In the second complaint, the prophet is doing something we've all done, or we all will do. Habakkuk is struggling with the problem of evil. The problem of evil. Do you see it here? Habakkuk is essentially asking, how can a God who is all good and all powerful allow such evil to exist? How could it be part of his plan for the wicked to swallow up those more righteous than they? Have you ever asked yourself questions like that? Have you ever written a prayer journal entry like that before? Habakkuk has. And next time we're together, we'll see God's answer. In chapter 2, the prophet gets ready to hear God's response. God speaks again. Look, at, look with me, just chapter 2, verse 1. Habakkuk says, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. Habakkuk knows a reproof is coming. He knows that ultimately God is in the right and he is in the wrong. God sees evil clearly and has a good reason for allowing it, while the prophet doesn't see all ends or understand all that God is doing. He knows a reproof is coming. And maybe... That's what you need to hear as well. In troubled times, trust God. Trust that he has a plan in the trouble. Trust him when evil seems to have the upper hand. When violence and strife is all around you, trust him. When you pour out your complaints, to God in your prayer journal, and God's answer isn't to make things better. Things get worse. The Babylonians are coming in. They're marching in. When the answer seems worse than the complaint, what are we to do? We're to trust. Trust him. Habakkuk will learn how to trust God before this book is finished. And may that be true for us as well. Let's pray. Father, in the midst of a world that often seems in chaos and turmoil, destruction and evil abounds, Lord, may we learn with Habakkuk how to trust you when there are no figs upon the tree or food in the barn, no cattle in the stalls, may we learn how sweet it is to trust in a Father who is all good, who cares for us in the midst of a broken world, and who will bring us safely home. Lord, may we learn in difficult times 
in strife, in hardship, to lean upon our Savior all the more and to know the sweetness of his fellowship in suffering and in the brokenness of the world. Lord, we look to a king whose hands are the hands of a healer. He will come and heal all that was broken. He will mend all that needs mending in us and in the world. But until that day, may our hearts cry out, How long, O Lord? Come. Come, Lord Jesus. We await the day. May that be our heart before you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.